Good morning. Uh, if you will all uh, flip in your Bibles to Luke 3, 21, or chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. And I believe that is page 859 in the Pew Bible. just give you all a second. All right. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this beautiful picture of the Trinity coming all together in the Bible. We pray for the lesson today and for Pastor Andrew and for all of our hearts and ears to be open and to listen that we may grow in you. We thank you for this Memorial Day weekend, and we give thanks to our country and for all the many lives that it's taken to get us to this point where we are today. And, uh, we pray for our country and for all the churches and that we will all come together and lift you up in this country. In your name, amen. Good job, sir. <clears throat> so as we were talking about last week, Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. Uh, he is 30 years old, and like we talked about last week, he was baptized, and we kind of discussed why he was baptized, the ramifications of that, and we also talked about his prayer life. But again, remember, Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. How encouraging do you think it was to him uh, as he's baptized, as he's praying, to suddenly see the sky split open, the Spirit descend, and then the Father to speak those words over him? I think those empower him, it endorses him, it encourages him as he begins his earthly ministry, which is leading down the path to where? the cross. Uh, and so just uh, this amazing passage that we started talking about last week, we made our way through, uh, mostly through verse 21 last week, uh, but we're just thinking about Jesus and his earthly ministry and the implications that that has for us. So again, just to think about that, if, if those things, the sky, Jesus praying, the sky splitting open, the Spirit descending, and, and the Heavenly Father speaking, if, if those things encourage him in his daily ministry, how much more should they encourage us and, and help us as we seek to minister and labor for his name's sake? So like we talked about last week, how much do you, do you think it would help you to, to live the Christian life knowing that Jesus is for you and not against you, which is, I think, the significance of the baptism. He's identifying with sinners. He's not a sinner, but he's identifying with them, yes? 
How much would it help you in your walk with the Lord and serving Him and glorifying Him if you talked with your Heavenly Father more? And then the two questions I want to wrestle with uh, this morning as we unpack the rest of verse 21 and verse 22 is, how much do you think it would help you in your daily life to rely on the Spirit? And how much would it help you to know that just as the Father says over the Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, how much does it help you to know that this morning by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father is speaking those words to you? That should help you and strengthen you much in the Lord Jesus Christ and in, in serving him. In fact, this morning, uh, as, even as the worship team was singing and, and talking about our Heavenly Father, I, I know for some, speaking of the Heavenly Father, for some it's difficult for you to even call God your Father. And so I just wonder, and just to get you thinking a little bit this morning, when, uh, when you think of the Father... How do you picture your Heavenly Father viewing you? Right now, how do you picture your Heavenly Father viewing you? Is He smiling over you? Or is He frowning? Does He have a big smile on His face or is He frowning? Or is He celebrating over you? Or is He deeply disappointed in you? What comes to your mind when you view your Heavenly Father? And what I want to really hit hard and hopefully take home with you this morning is when the Father is looking over you right now, that by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not frowning, he's not disappointed, he is celebrating over you. And he is saying to you that you are my beloved son or my beloved daughter and you I'm well pleased. And I want that to anchor in your heart and in doing so, in, in finding your identity in Jesus, in in this amazing truth that you're empowered by the Spirit and you're much in prayer and the Father loves you, those four truths, if they can anchor deep in your heart, man, this world can throw whatever it wants to throw at you. And it's not going to slow you down one second. This really is a remarkable text as, as we dig into it. So in verse 21, all the people were baptized. Jesus also had been baptized. And then he's praying. While he's praying, three things happen. The first thing that happens, if you're following in the outline of the bulletin, is the parting of heaven. The, the skies, if you can picture this, Jesus is praying and the skies are ripped apart. Or maybe it's something like a door of a temple or palace being opened. But whatever it is, Jesus is baptized, he's praying, the heavens open. It, it, it's a pretty spectacular scene. I think it's reminiscent of the prophet Ezekiel. If you remember, while he's sitting by the canal in, in Ezekiel chapter 1, he, he suddenly says he saw the heavens open. Or think of Stephen, who in Acts chapter 7 has just rehearsed the whole history of the Israelite people and pointed it to Christ. And their response to that is it literally says they, they gnarled and that they grinded their teeth at him. And, but then it says that Stephen, Acts seven fifty four and following, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Or who can forget John in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 where he says, behold a door standing open in heaven. 
In each one of those cases, and there's a few more, but in each one of those cases, and in particular in our text in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, the heavens opening is indicative of, of, of something apocalyptic happening. Don't you love that word, apocalyptic? It's, it's, it's indicative of this momentous, significant, exciting, stupendous event. And of course, as, as you think about that word tearing or opening at the end of verse 21, that same word is found again at the end of Luke. That word for opening or tearing in Luke 3.21 is also found in Luke 23, verse 25, where, 45, where we are told that while Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, it is finished, what happens to the curtain in the temple? It's ripped is torn in two. Another significant tearing uh, that happens in the Scripture. And that, that was no small feat, by the way. If you remember, that curtain was something like 90 feet tall. That's a big curtain. 90 feet tall, 26 feet wide, and as thick as your hand. So roughly, your hand breadth. So roughly four inches. That's a pretty major curtain. And it's ripped when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, the curtain is ripped from top to bottom, divine hands gripping it, ripping it. And so at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and at the end, there's this ripping, there's this tearing, and all of it is showing you something momentous. It's barriers being torn down. So again, if you can just, just put yourself there, you're on the Jordan banks, right? And the skies are opened, and the shaft of light, the radiant glory of God, fills the sky. It breaks through. Like this vast curtain has been ripped in half. And suddenly you're gazing into heaven in all of its glory. Man, you would never forget that day. You would never forget that moment. It's huge. It's momentous. It also reminds me of Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1. And in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1, the prophet Isaiah groans these words. He says, he, it, it's a prayer, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That's Isaiah 64, 1. You can, you can hear the groaning, right? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. This deep groaning, and remember, just, just like much in, in Jesus' day, Israel is devastated. Israel's in a hopeless situation. They've wandered far from God, and so Isaiah, with this sense of urgency and strong emotion, he cries out to God, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The heavens are, are pictured like that curtain and being ripped or torn and uh, Israel's devastated and Isaiah is just passionately crying out for this mighty move of God. Sovereign God, stop restraining your power. Sovereign God, stop confining your glory. Don't hold back anymore. Rip those heavens and come down. Oh, that you would do that, God. Isaiah cries out. And I believe in answer to Isaiah and many other prophets' prayers, that's what's happening right here in our text. The sky is being ripped, and God literally comes down in the Spirit upon God the Son. It's a remarkable passage. God is breaking into human history. A new epic, a new covenant is upon them. 
His son has come to rescue and redeem them. This is a decisive, unparalleled, unrepeatable moment in history of God breaking into history to do something amazing. This is what all the world is groaning for and God splits the skies to underscore the significance of all that's happening. So Jesus is praying, the skies split, what's next? The spirit descends. Verse 22, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. He didn't come as a cardinal. You know, cardinals are kind of flamboyant. He didn't come as a hawk, fierce with talons to shred its prey. Praise God, he didn't come that way. He comes as a what? He comes as a dove. A dove is gentle, gracious, has self-control. A dove is meek. No talons, no fierceness, meekness, gentleness. Doesn't that fit Jesus and his ministry? The Spirit comes down as a dove. Now, to be sure, Jesus could also be a lion. He could be a fierce lion. He spoke of hell much. He flipped tables. He rebuked the Pharisees. But Jesus' character was, in general, gracious, meek, mild. In fact, he even says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit. He teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When people are filled with the Spirit, they produce fruit, and some of that fruit is gentleness and self-control. Jesus calls upon his followers to be innocent or harmless as what? Doves. He calls upon us to be harmless as doves. Again, Jesus could be a lion. He, he could bring down the fire, but intrinsically his character was gentle and humble and meek in dealing with sinners. I think that's what made him so attractive. I think that's why people of all different stripes uh, were attracted to him and drawn to him. Jesus wasn't harsh. Jesus wasn't flamboyant. Jesus didn't lord it over others, pushing people out of his way. Jesus was almighty but meek. He was poor in spirit and gracious and gentle and unselfish and kind. He came not to be served but to what? To serve and to give his life for many. We see this especially while he's on the cross. Even before the cross, he's, he's being unjustly tried. He's going before a, a false tribunal. Does he defend himself? He doesn't, does he? He's silent. He takes it. He never complains. He never kicks back. He never fights back. Even while he's hanging on the cross, he cries out for their forgiveness. He's gracious. He's gentle. He's kind. He's meek. So it's perfectly fitting that we find the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, illustrating, picturing gentleness, graciousness. If I can go just a little bit deeper there for a second, I think there's more happening there too. I think what's happening in our text is a great parallel to Genesis chapter 1. And maybe some of you are already there thinking that. In Genesis chapter 1, God the Father creates the heavens and the earth. And then what's the Holy Spirit doing? 
Remember that in Genesis 1, verse 2? The Holy Spirit is just hovering over the earth. And what is God the Father doing all through Genesis 1? He's speaking, right? He speaks and brings forth life. He speaks and he creates. Can you see the parallels? Because in our text, you have the skies being opened. You have the heavens. You have the Spirit descending, and you have the Father speaking. See the parallels with that? from this in Genesis 1, and you go, yeah, those are nice parallels, but there's no creation. I beg to differ, there is creation happening here. Because Jesus has come to do what? To bring a new creation. He's come to bring rebirth or recreation. He's come to recreate your heart. He's come to create a new people and a new earth, ultimately. This is the beginning of his creative work as our Savior. It's a pretty fascinating connection to Genesis chapter one. Just another way to say and to see that what is happening here, though, though Luke uses one sentence in the Greek to describe all of this, what's happening here is, is fantastic, it's remarkable, it's unrepeatable, it's very, very significant. Now, thinking of Jesus and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and we think of him beginning his ministry, just think of how encouraging and helpful this is. Jesus is launching out into his earthly ministry. The Spirit descends upon him to empower him or to anoint him. Now, don't, don't, don't get the wrong picture there either. It's not as if before this, Jesus never had the Holy Spirit. Of course he did. He's, he's the Son of God. But what, what's happening here is the Spirit is anointing Jesus for ministry. He's setting Jesus apart or consecrating Jesus for his earthly ministry. Another way you could say that is the Spirit is divinely equipping Jesus for ministry. And we're going to unpack that more when we get to Luke chapter 4. But just, just to see uh, that, that what's happening here when the Spirit coming down upon Jesus. It's in equipping him. It's empowering him for the ministry. In fact, if you have a study Bible or if you don't have a study Bible, uh, it should reference, if it doesn't, write this down in your margins if you're one of those who writes in your Bible, Isaiah 61.1. Because Luke 3.22 is a clear allusion to Isaiah 61.1. In Isaiah 61.1, the prophet Isaiah says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's the messianic servant speaking. In other words, that's, that's, that's giving voice to Jesus. And notice what it says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The, the Lord has anointed me to do ministry, to, to bring good news, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, opening a prison, and then drop down to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit's. And then drop down to the same chapter, verse 14. Jesus goes into temptation, comes out of temptation, Luke 4, 14. Jesus returned in the power of the what? The spirits. And then think about this, listen to this, Acts chapter 10, 
Verses 37 and 38, remember Luke and Acts are companion volumes, they go together. So Acts chapter 10, 37 and 38, Peter summarizes the ministry of Jesus saying this, quote, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You see the emphasis on the spirits? Luke loves that. Luke's constantly bringing that out. As you read through Luke, you'll see his, his constant references to the Spirit. But I hope you see how needed this was for the Lord Jesus Christ. His, his ministry, the demands on him and his ministry were, were incredible. The demands on him for teaching and preaching and healing were tremendous. The guy gets so tired that he falls asleep on a pillow on a boat in the middle of a storm. Right? Ministry is exhausting for him. It's difficult, uh, it's, it's tiresome, uh, and he, but he would always get up early to pray, and, but in the frailty of his flesh, he, he needed this, this great empowerment of the spirits. He does all of his ministry led by and filled with the power and the presence of the spirits, okay? So, let's drive that home for a second. If Jesus, who was sinless and didn't struggle with the desires and the lusts of the flesh, if that Jesus needed the spirits to do ministry, how much more? How much more do I need the spirit? How much more do you need the spirits? Jesus is perfect. Jesus is, is sinless How much more do I, who am far from perfect and sinful, daily, desperately need the Spirit? The world that we live in is against us. There is the constant onslaught of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. There's the ever-present battle with the God of this world. There are, there's the cares and the burdens of being a mom or a dad. There's the pressures of school, the, the pressures of work. There, there's false teachers trying to creep their way into the church all the time, unaware. There's, as Christians, we have inner conflict, and sadly, often, there's outer conflict with other brothers and sisters in Christ. There's, there's so much working against us. When we need, we desperately need the energy and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit in us. There's, there's no Christian in this room that has no need for more. We all need more of the Spirit. And the same is true of churches. There's, there's no church that's so full of the Spirit that we're like, nope, I don't need that anymore. I got enough. I'm full. No, we need more of the Spirit's I love Horatius Bonar's song where he, he says, More of thyself, show me hour by hour. More of thy glory, O my God and Lord. More of thyself in all thy grace and power. More of thy love and truth, incarnate word. We need more of God's spirit if we're going to witness powerfully. We need more of God's spirit if we're going to withstand persecution. We need more of his spirit to love our enemies. We need more of his spirit to overcome temptation. 
We need more of his spirit to confront danger. Let us regularly cry out to God in prayer, give me more of yourself, fill me with your fullness, and then enlarge me and fill me some more. We need his spirit. I love how one preacher said this. He says, quote, Luke is saying to Theophilus, remember Luke, Luke wrote to Theophilus, you can see that in Luke 1, 1 through 3, but Luke is saying to Theophilus, if the Lord Jesus had to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit as he worked on our behalf for our salvation, how much more ought we to be dependent on the Holy Spirit? He goes on to say, what does that mean? It means a lot of things, but it means at least this. We never think that the Christian life has in and of himself all the resources he needs to minister Did you know that every single act of real ministry is beyond our resources? Do you know that we have not even begun to minister to one another until we minister beyond our own personal capacities, beyond our own talents, beyond our own personalities? He goes on to say, we don't even minister in strict accord with our character. We minister out of the character which has been renovated by God, but ultimately what we minister is heavenly. Now watch this. What in the world can we do to raise men from the dead spiritually? What can we do to bind up the wounded in this world? What's the answer to that? Nothing. We can't do that. But the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can. And so as we minister in whatever area or facet of life the Lord has given us, as we minister, we must minister in a way that's dependent upon the Spirit because we can't do it alone. That's, that's powerful. Think, think about it this way. What, what can you do to revive your marriage? What, what can you do to, to slay pride or to grow in Christlikeness? And the answer is nothing, but the Spirit can. The Spirit can, and the same is true for our church. Our, our aim, our goal, right, is to saturate Barry and Allegan County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be moving people and growing people in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we want to be the strongest, godliest, healthiest church we can be on this side of glory. And, and honestly, sometimes we, we think, well, that will happen if we can just play the right songs and uh, have the right personality, and if we just have the right programs, if we have enough money, we can do all that. What does Scripture say to that? No, you can't. You can't do anything with that stuff. What you need is the Spirit. What you need is me. We are always and utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Josiah mentioned VBS. We can't do VBS without the Spirit. We can't do counseling without the Spirit. I can't preach without the Spirit. We can't do Word of Life or a youth group or anything that we do. It's all worthless without the Spirit. We need the Spirit. What am I doing up here preaching? What, what can I do without the Spirit? In fact, I'll, I'll tell you, every Sunday morning I wake up and I, I, I look through my notes and I, and I pray through them slowly, carefully, and the thought that's always like racing through my mind is, what is this? Really, this, this, this is what I have to offer you guys this morning? That this, this, this is it? And I, I literally will often just, just take my notes and I'll, I'll just kind of bow my head and, and put them up to God and say, if you can do something with that, God, do it. <laughs> it's it's got to be you. It's got to be you. I can't, I can't do anything with this. Please do, Lord. Please, please, please send your spirit and convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. Man, we desperately need the Spirit. 
If, if Jesus needed him that much and needed that empowerment and that equipping, how much more do I and do you need that? You see, I think the Spirit is often grieved because we do so many things without him. I think we do a lot of things in our own strength. And we're not doing it in his strength. And the Spirit's waiting for us to get out of the way. None of our effort is worth anything without the spirits. What we need is God's pity and his sovereignty working through his spirits. Will you pray that God will do that? Will you pray, commit to praying this week, even right now in your hearts, for more of his spirit? Will you maybe need to cry out to him and ask for forgiveness? You've been trying to do it in your own strength. You've been trying to parent in your own strength or have a marriage in your own strength or work at your workplace in your own strength or whatever it is you've been doing. Maybe you need to cry that out to God this morning. You know what, God, I've been doing it all in my strength. I've been trying to make this happen. And what I need is the Spirit. I need the Spirit to take over and work in me and through me to your praise and to your glory. And then, having confessed that, would you cry out to God to rend the heavens once more? and unleash his Holy Spirit? Would you pray for a great awakening that results in untold numbers coming to Christ? Would you pray for the Spirit to move in such a way that marriages would be reconciled and renewed, that wayward children would come home, that long-standing slavery to sin would be conquered, that spiritual dullness would be replaced with vibrant joy, that weak faith would be replaced by bold witness, that disinterested prayer would be replaced with fervent intercession, that boring Bible reading would be replaced by a passion for God's word. Pray that lukewarm worship would be replaced by zeal for the greatness of God's glory. Would you pray those things? Pray for the Spirit to pour out that way in our lives, in our marriages, in our churches. Pray for God to do that in our country. We need the Spirit. And lastly, you notice in verse 22, after the Holy Spirit descends, Jesus is praying, the heavens split open, the Spirit descends, a voice speaks. And the voice comes from heaven as God the Father, saying, you are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. As Andrew noted in his prayer, this is a clear reference to the Trinity. Uh, that God is one God, eternally existing. It's three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the most important thing to see in this text is that God the Father is endorsing his Son. The Spirit empowers him, and God endorses. God confirms the ministry and mission of Jesus. He's declaring beyond any shadow of a doubt, this is the king, this is the Messiah. This is the good news that John has been preaching. This is what you're looking for and longing for. This, this is our only hope. In, in fact, as you, as you look at that saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased, God the Father is actually quoting scripture, which is neat. He's quoting two texts. First, he's quoting Psalms 2-7. 
When it says, you are my beloved son, that is a direct quote of Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. That's significant because Psalms chapter 2, verse 7 is a psalm about the messianic king. It's a song about the king who reigns over the nations and how God has made his son and given him authority and exalted him as king over the nations. And so when God says, you are my beloved son, God is saying, this is my son, this is King Jesus. He's no mere religious teacher. He's not just some nice guy teaching nice things. This is the king. Bow to him, adore him, worship him. He's saying that religion is not like a, an all-you-can-eat buffet where you kind of take what you like and, and pick the God that you want. He's saying that there's one God, one king, one savior. There are no other. His name is Jesus. This is my beloved son. Worship him and worship him alone. He is the only way. There is no other way. And notice that he calls him his beloved son. We don't use that word very much today. Uh, but beloved means very special unique, a deep, special, unique, abiding relationship. That's how God feels about his son, Jesus. God loves his son. God loves his son as the most precious person in the universe. God is saying, listen to me, son, I love you, and all of my affection is for you. And that's not all he says. He, he goes on to say that with you I am well pleased, you could translate that, son, I take my delight in you. I'm delighted in you. I take pleasure in you. My son, I, I am pleased because for 30 years you've perfectly obeyed me, and I'm pleased because you are my perfect representation, and I'm pleased because you have loved and trusted me, and I'm pleased that you are perfectly God-centered but he's pleased in another way, too, because you are my beloved son is a quotation of Psalm 2-7. With you I am well pleased is a quotation of Isaiah 42, verse 1. Are you seeing how much Luke depends on Isaiah, by the way, how much he references him? Some people call Luke the fifth gospel uh, for those very reasons. Uh, but here, when he says, with you I am well pleased, it's a reference to Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Let me read that. Isaiah 42, verse 1 says, Behold, or look, right? See, look, behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Seeing the, the parallels? I put my spirit upon him, I delight in him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So it says, behold my servant. The servant is who? It's Jesus, the Messiah. And if you read through Isaiah, in fact, I would encourage you this afternoon or tonight, if you have a chance, read through Isaiah 42 through Isaiah 53. Actually, you can go farther than that. All through there, it's, it's talking about his servant, his special chosen servant that he upholds. He's given his spirit to do ministry. But if you remember, this servant who, who the Father has chosen and put, delights in and put his spirit upon him is the same servant that Isaiah 53 will lay down his life in suffering and death for the sheep. And so I think there's another way that the Father is pleased with the Son. He is pleased with the Son because he will be the perfect sacrifice for sins. He is pleased in the Son because through his sacrificial death, Redemption and salvation will come. Now, this takes the cake. 
There's amazing stuff in this passage, but, but this takes the cake. You understand this morning that Jesus, by his baptism, identified with you. You, you understand the importance of prayer. You understand the, the importance of the Spirit and how we need his, his empowering and, and, and his equipping. But what I have prayed so much this week is that this truth right here would so capture your heart. Because what we're seeing right here is when, when you turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and you have your sins forgiven and, and his righteousness is transferred and charged to, to your account and so now you have this new relationship with the Heavenly Father. Yes, you, you were his enemy. You were under his wrath. You had condemnation. But, but now by faith in Jesus Christ, all of the benefits of Christ have been transferred to you. And so when you read this text, now you can say with, with all the truth and veracity of Scripture that the Heavenly Father's love is given to you. I hope you heard that. that if, if you've repented of your sin and are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ right now, that God is saying to you, because you are in Christ, God is saying to you right now, by faith in Jesus, He is saying to you, I love you. I love you. I'm pleased with you. I delight in you. All my affection, it's for you. And you might think, man, that, that sounds pretty outlandish. I'm not, I'm not sure the scriptures are saying that there, Pastor Andrew. Where, where, where are you getting that from? Well, just turn to John 17. There's a few other passages we could go to, but I think this one makes it plain enough. In, in John chapter 17, you have the, the Lord's Prayer, what's often referred to as his high priestly prayer. Well, it's a wonderful text to meditate upon, but pick it up in verse 22. John 17, verse 22. Jesus prays to the Father, the glory that you have given me I have given to them. That in and of itself is staggering to think about. The glory you have given me, I have given to them. And he, again, he's praying for his disciples here, all who name the name of Christ. And he, he's given it to us so we might be one, even as him and the Father are one. But now watch verse 23. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and what? Loved them, even as you loved me. There it is. God the Father has loved them, his disciples, even as what? He has loved the Son. As I said before, I know that there are some here today who need to hear this. You need to hear this because you're having a hard time believing this. And maybe you're having a hard time believing this because your dad just wasn't a great dad. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was disinterested. Maybe he was distant. Maybe he was harsh. Maybe you didn't really ever have a dad. And so when you picture God, you have a hard time picturing him as smiling over you. In fact, what you probably think is he's disappointed with you and always angry with you and upset with you and, and annoyed with you. And oh my word, here he comes again or here she comes again. And why won't you leave me alone? And we start to think that way about God, right? We, we transfer our earthly experiences and transpose them on the Father, and I know that there are some here who wrestle with that. You wrestle with even calling God and being able to say, my father. 
But God wants you this morning to be able to say to him with all the confidence in the world that you are my father. I want you to recognize this morning that nothing could be farther from the truth if you think that as a Christian, God is angry with you or harsh or absent or distant from you. Again, our text is saying to you, and I want, want you to hear this morning as much as you need to hear, that the Father delights in you. He has all of his affection for you. And you can know that because of the cross. The cross is the display of the Father's love for you. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is saying to you right now, my child, my son, my daughter in faith, you are my beloved. I take pleasure in you. I delight in you. Full stop. No qualifications. No ifs, ands, or buts. I delight in you. I love you. What does that do for you? I tell you, if, if, if you've tasted that, if you're gripping that, if, if God's love by the Spirit is beginning to flow and bubble up into your heart, if, if you know and are convinced of God's delighting in you, then I'm telling you, there's nothing in the world that can stop you. There's nothing in the world that can stop you because you're loved by the Father. Nothing, not even death, can separate you from that because you're loved by the Father. Nothing else matters. We, we sing that song sometimes, 10,000 reasons. This is the reason. This is the reason to love him and adore him and the most glorious thing about him. Can you, can you tell me a better truth than that God the Father delights in you? So when you're tempted to believe the lie, and again, I know that there are some of us who are tempted to believe this lie that, that God is out to get you, that, that God is punishing you, or, or maybe you think to yourself, man, I, I knew that sin would catch up with me. I, I knew he'd punish me for that one. If, if, if you're tempted to think that way, don't believe the lies. Replace the lies with truth. Remember last week, Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are by faith in Christ. Don't believe the lie that God is angry and out to get you and punish you. You are God's beloved. God is not angry with you. He couldn't possibly be angry with you, Christian, because all of his wrath was poured out on his son for you. And so now he has nothing but a big smile and celebration and joy over you. And nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing. Anchor this in your mind. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. Nothing. Or let me come at it this way. Think about how much time you possibly waste Worrying what other people think about you. Look at the way you maybe respond. Think about how you respond when you're criticized. Do you become defensive or protective? Or, or do you get really despaired and, and, and loathsome when, when criticism comes your way? If, if so, I'm just gently asking you to consider this morning that if that's how you react, if you're always worrying about what, what people think about you, it, there's a good chance it's because you think too highly of other people and you're trying to be justified in their sights. 
You want to be looked upon as someone who's lovely and good. You, you crave and to, think too highly of their love and their affection. And so the gospel comes to rescue you from that. The gospel comes to you this morning to offer you something so much better than the approval of others. The gospel comes to you with the expulsive power of a new, a new affection, to quote Thomas Chalmers. It tells us, the gospel tells us that in Jesus, you are righteous, and that God, whose opinion is infinitely more important than anyone else's opinion, delights in you. If you understand that, if you're gripped by that, it will give you ultimate security and peace. It will also help you to increasingly diminish your concern about the opinions of others. That's something else, isn't it? When God is at the center of your heart, you can keep moving towards others and be patient with others and gracious towards others even when they're not very patient or gracious towards you. Man, that changes marriages, doesn't it? That changes churches, that changes relationships in a heartbeat. When God is the center of your heart, you're able to keep loving others because God first loved you, and quite frankly, that's all that matters. So you can call me names. Uh, you can hate me. You can mock me, make fun of me. You can do whatever you want to do to me. I don't care. God the Father, he delights in me. He calls me his beloved. That's life-changing. And I'll tell you, I struggled tremendously growing up with fear of man. I struggled tremendously with wanting other people's approval. And I can't tell you how revolutionized my life when this truth rocked my world. Righteous by faith in Christ. The love and approval and celebration of the Father. Bring it on, world. I don't care what you have to say to me. The Father loves me. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. So you may not have a circumstance that you can control. You may not have kids who rise up and, and call you blessed. You may not have a spouse who dotes on you. You may not have a job that you love. You may not have lots of money. But Christian, you have this. You have the Father's love. So what should you do with this? Jesus is praying, the sky is split, the spirit descends, the Father speaks. What, what, what's your response to this? I, I hope your response to this this morning, if, if you're not a Christian, I hope it's this, that you run to Jesus. I hope it's that you recognize that, that, that you're under his wrath because of sin. But again, remembering that Jesus came to identify with you and that there's no sin that's so awful or so wicked or, or some sin that you think you're covering up that, 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 that God in his grace and his love can't and won't forgive. So run to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, the author of salvation. Run to him who identifies with you and who can save you and forgive you and cleanse you and redeem you and declare you righteous and give you his spirit. Run to Jesus. That's, that's the first and right response. And in light of the Father's love, in light of the spirit, in light of the ministry of Jesus, run to Jesus. Don't trust in your works. Don't trust in your feelings. Don't trust in being a good, moral, upright person. Those things will condemn you. Your assurance, your hope, your salvation is found in Jesus, God's Son, our King. Put your faith in Jesus. 
If you have questions about that or want to talk about that more, that's why we're here this morning. And we'll have an opportunity for you uh, in a few moments to come, to come forward and give your life to him. Or you can do that right now as you're, where you're sitting. You don't have to come forward. Just sit there right now. The Spirit's working in your heart. Cry out to him for forgiveness of sins, to know his love, and he will do that for you. If you're a Christian, I hope this truth put winds, puts wind beneath your wings. I hope this truth is putting a big smile on your heart and your face. It should. It should. I hope it changes your prayer life. The Father loves you. Talk with him. Pray with him. I hope it encourages you to serve with every ounce of strength the Spirit gives you. I hope it causes you to cry out for more of the Spirit and more of his love. I, I hope it compels you to do things you would never do before. I think the Father's love and the empowering of the Spirit should do that. It should compel you to do things you would never dreamed of doing before. I'll tell you what, when I struggle with fear of man, do you think I would be standing here? The love of God, the Spirit of God, empowers you to do things you thought you'd never do. It allows you to dare to open up and, and be known, to let people know your, your faults and mistakes. It frees you to, to openly confess sin. It emboldens you to talk to others about Jesus. The love of the Father empowers you to take risks. It restores hope. But above all, Christian, this, this is what I hope uh, that, that this truth does for you. I hope your response to all of this is, I'm going to delight in Jesus. Because just think about that for a moment. The Father splits the skies, sends down his spirit, and declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I delight. And then add to that, Jesus delighted. It was his joy. Think about that, his joy to endure the guilt and the shame and the horror of the cross. So the Father delights in the Son, and the Son delights to take your shame and your guilt and, and to cleanse you and, and, and forgive you and declare you, declare you righteous. How then can you respond other than to say, I will delight in Jesus? He's my chief delight. He's the joy of my heart. Do you delight in Jesus? Do you take joy in Jesus? Are you hungering and thirsting after Jesus? If, if someone was to spend the day with you, would they walk away saying like, man, that guy's high for Jesus. <laughs> that guy delights in Jesus. That guy's passionate about Jesus. Is that the response people have living with you? being with you, being around you. Can you say with Paul, I count all things but garbage for the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ? Can you say this morning, I count my educational degrees, I count my annual salary, I count my investment portfolio, I count my physical beauty, I count my reputation, I count my career, I count my achievements as worthless, utterly worthless compared to this, to know Christ Jesus my Lord and to delight in him. And I hope that's your heartbeat, hearing about your identity in Christ, hearing about the gift of prayer, uh, hearing about the spirit who lives within you, and hearing about the Father's love. It doesn't get any better than that. So Orangeville Baptist Church, in light of that truth, Let's go forth from here, ministering much for his praise and for his glory. Uh, let's go forth from here, saturating Barry and Allegan County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go forth from here, spreading the gospel, living the gospel, living the truth, because this world might be against us. They don't have a chance against us. They don't have a chance. Amen?
I'm going to pray, uh, and I'll invite uh, the praise team up. Uh, just before I pray, remember that to my right and my left are, are a couple of rooms. Counselors are in there uh, to meet with you, to pray with you about anything that's on your heart and mind this morning. It doesn't even have to relate to the message, just, just something the Spirit's working in your heart. So as, as, we, as I pray, as, as we sing, I encourage you just to come forward and, and go into one of those rooms and those counselors, trained counselors, would love to just meet with you, talk with you, pray with you. Also just want to remind you, uh, as, as visitors, uh, the, the, to please fill out one of those cards and get those to the desk, uh, the welcome desk, and we have a, a gift for you. I just encourage you, don't rush off when the service is over. I, th I think we have coffee and connect this morning. So there's coffee, cookies, stuff like that back there. Hang around, talk, fellowship. Encourage one another with the truths you've heard this morning. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I don't even know what to, what to say in light of such amazing truth. I just pray that your love and the truth of it would flood our hearts and our souls this morning. I, I pray that these wouldn't just be words on a page to us or, eh, that was a nice message or, eh, that was whatever message, but that your spirit would just take the truth of your word, drive it deep into our hearts, help us to go forth from here just rooted deeply in our identity in Christ. Help us to go forth from here growing in our prayer life. Maybe, maybe we were only praying a few minutes a day, Lord. Maybe we can add a couple more minutes to that, to, to our prayer life. Lord, help us to pray more and Lord, help us to leave here filled with your spirits and help us to leave here confident and assured of the Father's love. Lord, just, just take these truths. Do what I can't do, Lord. My, my, my voice only goes so far and I can't change hearts, but you can, Lord. So we're praying that your spirit just take, take those truths, encourage us where we need it, rebuke us where we need it, build us and grow us, strengthen us. And Lord, if there's any here in our midst this morning who have yet to know what it means, uh, to call upon you in, in faith and salvation, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would respond to your love, they would respond to the cross with faith and obedience. And Lord, I pray for any here who might just be struggling or hurting in some other way, uh, that you would just minister to them today also, um, that they would receive the help that they need. Lord, we all need help. So we just thank you for the help that's available. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.